2: Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? You are listening to The Big Cruise Podcast.
1: Thank you and welcome back to The Big Cruise Podcast. My name is Baz, I'm your host. And in today's show, we've got Chris Frame joining us to tell us uh, a little nautical fact from 200 years ago, also some cruise news. And then we'll move on to Sam, who has a review of her recent cruise experience on board uh, Norwegian Epic. But before we do that, I had a listener question. This call came in from Joe. Uh, Joe wanted to know... About river cruising in Europe. Um, she was just a little confused about the different levels, the different inclusions, and what was the right product for her. Um, I guess the easiest way to explain is to kind of break the different operators down into maybe four categories. We'll start off with the lowest category, and that doesn't mean it's the worst. Um, but a ROSA um, is what I would call a really good value cruise line. Um, the cruise fare is a little cheaper than other people. It does include your accommodation. It includes all of your meals on board. It doesn't include sightseeing, but it does include all of your beverages on board. And the great thing is that they will give you maps and port talks to really tell you how to uh, find your way around the towns and villages. Or you could book a shore excursion if you wanted to on board the cruise. That's kind of the leaden level. When we take it up to the next level, we probably go into what I would call premium. And that's where we refer to evergreen cruises. Uh, Travel Marvel, um, Riviera, uh, to name just a few. Now, these guys include um, some of your sightseeing. Uh, Again, they've got your meals on board. You've got your accommodation. Um, But they generally only include alcohol during mealtimes. Then we go up to the next level, which is what I would call premium luxury. Um, This is where you have scenic, APT, Avalon and Viking etc and these pretty much include almost everything whilst you're away so you're really not going to put your hand in your pocket at all. Um, It is very much um, hand-holding for one for better word so there will be people to take you and show you absolutely everywhere you go. You really don't need to think uh, for yourself too much you just need to embrace the the destination and uh, watch the world go by. And then there's one other category which takes it to the next level. Um, This next category Like the previous category, does include almost everything, but their ships tend to carry fewer guests. So, if you want to have that bit more feeling of space on board um, and probably have even more activities included ashore, and even dining in some cases included ashore, this next category really encompasses everything. So, that will include the River Cruise lines such as Crystal, UniWorld, and also Tauk. So, really, depending on what kind of experience you want in Europe, whether you want to have your handheld every step of the way, whether you want all of your alcohol included, whether you want that bit of flexibility to do your own thing, and also importantly, who do you want to travel with? Do you want do you want to travel with Australians? Do you want to travel with international guests? Uh, because people like Scenic and APT sell predominantly here in Australia, whereas some of the other operators, um, such as Avalon, Crystal, Uniworld, Tauk. Um, they sell pretty much in every English-speaking market. And then you've got people like Arosa, which are sold uh, both in Germany and also in some of the key English-speaking markets. So you have a bit of a bilingual twist to that then. So I hope I haven't confused you by explaining it that way, Uh, but I thought it was probably easiest just to explain the different levels and the inclusions. And then what I always say is please go and speak to a clear, accredited cruise specialist. They've done all the training. They know how to ask the right questions to make sure that they find the right ship and the right itinerary just for you. That's CLIA, C-L-I-A, the Cruise Lines International Association, and you'll find member agencies all over Australia. This podcast is not possible without the help of our good friends at cruisefinder.com.au. Uh, they have more than 30,000 different cruises live on their website, many with live availability and pricing, but most importantly, each and every call, chat, and email is answered here in Australia by Australian clear accredited cruise specialists. So when you're looking for your next cruise, please consider the team at cruisefinder.com.au. Okay, it's so- Okay, it's time for my favourite part of the show. Of course, it's when Chris Frame joins us to tell us all things cruise news. Hey, Chris.
0: Hi, Barry. How are you going? Yeah, very good, mate. Excellent. Well,
1: let's turn back time.
0: Yeah, two hundred years. We're going back this time. Uh, interestingly enough, it's a ship called the Savannah, which is credited as being the first ship to transit the Atlantic by steam, and and by default, sort of the first ship to to do a steamship crossing of any of any significance, and. Um, Indeed, she was a steamship, a a very early design of steamship, one of these paddle steamers with the big paddle wheel on the side of the ship rather than the propellers that we have today. Um, But while she did undertake a steam voyage, so she was uh, equipped with a steam engine, the majority of her trip, um, the vast majority of her trip, which was happening 200 years ago at the moment, um, was undertaken using sail power because the steam engine was so basic and rudimentary Um, that there was no way that they could raise enough steam to power the ship uh, all the way across the Atlantic under steam power. So it made quite a stir because it looked a bit different from the previous um, ships that were operating because most of them just had the the big masts with the sails there, and this one had the the funnel that was sticking up in the middle of the ship and the the paddle wheel on the side. Uh, But it wasn't until the 1830s, so several decades later, that the first steamships undertook uh the atlantic crossings using steam the whole way across and one of the reasons behind this was uh, it took such a long time is that they they couldn't really work out how to make the engines efficient enough to carry uh enough coal to operate the engine uh throughout the duration of the voyage and it took a man named Isambard kingdom brunel who's very famous for creating um, engineering projects in the united kingdom including the railways Um, He was working for a steamship company called the Great Western Steamship Company, and he created a ship called the Great Western, which was, um, I think we've spoken about on a previous podcast, but it was able to um, Mm -hmm. utilize uh, several changes in design, including improvements in buoyancy, to allow it uh, to carry enough coal to operate its steam engine for the duration of the voyage. And therefore, that technically was the first ship designed um, to undertake transatlantic crossings wholly using steam, um, but it also did have auxiliary sails because the thought back then was why not utilize the free um, propulsion that the wind is providing us with if we have the opportunity to. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's an interesting turning point in history where people started to spend a little bit more time, designers and engineers started to think a bit, a bit closer about how they could utilize the steam power To propel ships, which has of course led to um, mechanically powered ships, which uh, is a direct link to the cruise ships that we have now.
1: Awesome. Um, Before we jump into the the good cruise news, we do just need to acknowledge that there was an announcement uh, late last week uh, from the Australian government.
0: Yes, so the Australian government has now extended um, the Australian ban on cruise ships uh, until the middle of September. Um, So that obviously is something that we've seen here since the um, outbreak of coronavirus we've, we've got no cruise ships operating in Australian waters and in fact um, really no cruise ships based here at, at all at the moment even those that are empty with only their crews on board have been um, required to leave Australian waters and most of them are uh, at anchor up in in the Philippines and so of course that impacts p and Australia, it impacts Princess Cruises, um, it'll, it'll impact Cunard with Queen Elizabeth uh, and uh, Carnival with uh, the Carnival Splendour and Carnival Spirit. Uh, and so they're all adjusting their um, planned resumptions in the Australian market to, to match that new government ban.
1: Sure. In a more positive uh, little bubble, over in Europe, there's various countries that are banding together to create a free travel zone.
0: Yeah, so there's quite a lot happening in Europe at the moment as the Europe countries of the European Union start to relax their um, restrictions. So, um, not only do we have uh, Germany, for example, which is softening its quarantine laws for travelers who are um, traveling sort of within the EU, uh, and also those who are coming from places that have recently left the EU, like the United Kingdom, or are currently in the process of leaving the EU, um, and we're also seeing some countries that are creating what we refer to here as a travel bubble because of course we're talking about it here with maybe new zealand in the future Uh, and so um, latvia estonia and lithuania for example have opened up a uh, sort of a cross-border travel zone between those countries uh, that started in i think in late may was starting in late may Uh, and it will allow those people to travel sort of more freely between those nations Um, and then in addition to that italy is also looking at um, plans to open up its borders, um, particularly the inter-inter in, country borders. So, like, uh, if you're traveling from zones within Italy, you'll now be able to move around a bit more freely. Uh, and then perhaps taking that a step further in June to to open up borders across the different European nations uh, and Spain as well, which is very heavily dependent on, on tourism, as as is Italy for a good portion of its GDP. Um, they're also looking at opening up their EU and maybe UK uh, connection borders because people coming in from other EU countries and particularly those coming in from the United Kingdom make up such a huge portion of um, Spain's travel market. Now, that doesn't mean, of course, that people travelling in from outside of the EU will be able to uh, avoid the the mandatory um Sort of self-isolation periods, and, and interestingly enough, the UK is looking as if it's just about to introduce, or perhaps by the time you listen to this, has introduced um, a mandatory 14-day um, isolation period after you arrive in the in the United Kingdom, which is causing um, quite a lot of chatter online as well. Because not only are they introducing that so late in the game, um, but also um, some people are saying, well, you know, it's not like it's in Australia where you have mandatory hotels where you have to. Um, quarantine in, it, it actually relies on you to sort of do it by yourself in, in the place that you've already organized um, to stay in for two weeks. So it's interesting the different approaches that the different countries are taking, but it looks as if many of the European countries are at least trying to open up some of the uh, inter-European borders um, and, and maybe get that, um, get that EU sort of cross-border travel happening again.
1: Yeah, really important, I guess, for the economy, particularly, as you say, countries like Spain, Greece, Italy, that really rely on sort summer tourism and the dollars that that brings. Hopefully, they can at least get a, a couple of months out of that before the, the, the winter breaks in for them. Yeah,
0: it's going to be really interesting to see that even if the borders are open, whether or not people will have an appetite um, to travel. I've um, At least in the short term, obviously in the long term, there will definitely be a resurgence in travel. But I've been looking at um, several uh, quite prominent travel writers and, and bloggers who are based in Europe and in the United Kingdom, they're they're easily accessible and fo- you can find them on Twitter and Instagram and, and whatnot. And they're showing photographs of just the streets even now, even in, in cities where the restrictions have been relaxed and they're still so empty. So I think it's, a, it's a, an opportunity for people who need to travel to start traveling again, which will be the sort of first wave of rebuilding, like airlines will then start to be able to bring in business travelers and stuff. But I, I don't think it's going to be um, a record year by any means in terms of um, no. in terms of people visiting hotels and, and, and going on, on holidays.
1: Now, Clear, we spoke about Clear quite a lot over the podcast. They're obviously working behind the scenes on a global policy, mm. but we're starting to see some of the cruise lines come out with what they plan to do individually. And the first of those, actually the second, uh, we spoke about one last week, mm. uh, Avalon Waterways have announced a seven-step plan for what they will offer when cruising does resume
0: yeah they have so it's again um as you said we had spoken about one um last last podcast also um many of the big uh, ocean cruise lines have indicated that things will change but haven't really gone into sort of what the final iteration of that will look like but avalon's announced uh how they're planning to to tackle um the new world i suppose the post coronavirus world uh, and it covers everything from the way that you'll board the ship and what sort of screening processes um you'll have to go through and look a lot of um, travel options now are sort of talking about the idea of having sort of touchless check-ins this is the same with airlines um i know Qantas has been in the news recently because they're thinking about ramping up services and they're talking about a new touchless um, environment and also having um temperature checks done by these thermometers You, you people who have traveled before the shutdown happened might've even experienced them because the cruise lines were already using them, but they sort of just hold them near your, near your head and it takes your temperature without even having to touch you at all. It's not like one of those ones that goes in your ear or anything like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And one of the biggest things that's been talked about is the air circulation on board ships. And one of the ways it's sort of been differentiated, I suppose, from how the, from the risks of, of flying versus the risks of going on, on a cruise or maybe even staying in a hotel is the, the air circulation systems. Now, on airplanes, they use, um, or many airplanes use sort of medical grade scrubbers that filter the air, um, which is one of the reasons why they say it's quite, um, well, the airlines say at least, it's quite unlikely for you to catch uh, coronavirus whilst in the aircraft because they have these filters. Um, now, I'm not a scientist or a medical professional, so whether or not those, those claims are 100% accurate, I'm not 100% sure. But what they are saying is, that the cruise ships need to work on their air filtration system, and so one of the things that Avalon's talking about here is that whilst the majority of their cabins obviously have access to, to open, um, open fresh air, they're not going to be circulating air between the different staterooms um, and the different cabins on the ship, uh, and that'll allow for sort of fresh air delivery. Um, they're also looking at introducing um, new cleaning procedures as well, um, so using. Um, new sort of cleaning and disinfecting methods that will help to, to ensure that the ship is, is maintained at a very high um, sanitation quality. Uh, and I think, I mean, there's obviously seven steps and covers also things about crew health and education and all that sort of stuff as well. But I think in general, what it is, is it's just showing that the cruise lines are um, responsive to changes that are required. Uh, and it will allow them to to operate with a, within a new normal once, once the restrictions are opened up again, um, particularly if these, these cleaning methods and, and um, embarkation methods are deemed to be uh, very successful, I suppose, in their implementation.
1: Yeah, no, all great steps, and uh, there's one that keeps coming up regularly, and I need to do a bit of research. Electrostatic cleaning—I have no idea what it means, but it's popping up everywhere. Ah,
0: uh, yes, actually, that's a that's a quick quick Google. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, I know that there's some chatter about also using UV um, as a disinfecting um, agent, like light. Yeah. talk, but I think the thing is that it's, the thing that's very difficult at the moment, um, from what I can gather, is that because in relative terms, coronavirus is still quite new, you know. I mean, it was only really January that people started hearing the term and you can't, it seems like it's been with us forever, but it hasn't really. And so I think that there's always every week, every day, there seems to be something different about what the virus is and how it acts and how it behaves. But, um, so I I guess, uh, really it's the the scientists and the, the medical professionals are, uh, coming up with, you know, an evolving, understanding of how the virus behaves and and the cruise lines are trying to implement that but it does seem as if um these these scrubbers uh that are used in hospitals and and um you know biomedical labs and stuff that are also being uh, variants of them being implemented by airlines might also be be destined for cruise ships in the long term as well
1: yeah all good news now before we wrap up chris you put out another video this week um always very informative let's give it a little plug.
0: Oh, yeah, thanks, Barry. So um, I had have had so much feedback um, over the last sort of two months on the various videos and articles that I've been writing about what's happening in the cruise industry. And a theme that seemed to become evident is a, a general, I guess, misunderstanding as to how a ship's flag of, of convenience, which is as it's quite often known, or port of registry, where the ship is registered and how that imp- impacts on how the ship is operated, And I suppose there's sort of three main categories of um, misunderstanding that I've picked up on. And the first was that the flag of convenience impacts on how the ship is um, operated from an environmental perspective. Uh, The other one is its economic impact on the cities and countries that it visits. And the third um, uh, of those being uh, how it is crewed, how they are able to employ crew from an international perspective. Uh, and so I reached out to f- retired Commodore Christopher Rind, who many listeners may know, uh, but he he was the Commodore of the Cunard fleet and captain of Kiwi 2 Queen Mary to Queen Victoria and Queen Elizabeth. And I think maybe he's the only person who may have captained all four of those queens, um, which is quite quite remarkable. And so he and I had a chat. He's he's retired from Cunard last year, and he's very... um. Very knowledgeable about all things shipping, and so yeah, the video is on my YouTube channel, um, YouTube.com/slash Chris Cunard or one word, uh, and it's a quite an interesting little look into how the flag of a ship actually impacts on how it's operated, and dispelling some of the some of the myths that are being sort of and misunderstandings that are being shared, not just um, by sort of casual um, observers, but also in the media as well.
1: Sure. Now, I will be sure to put the link in the show notes and also post it to our social pages. Chris, as always, thank you very much for your time. Until next week. Thank you. When you're packing for your next cruise, maybe consider a new pair of handmade sandals to go. Uh, Evarcus are handmade in Spain and sold with love here in Australia by sandalsandsunsets.com.au. You'll find all the details in the show notes below. And now it's time for the part of the show where we talk about uh, a recent cruise review. Uh, Samantha is now joining me in the studio. She was on board Norwegian Epic towards the end of last year, uh, October from memory, and did a beautiful seven-night cruise around the Mediterranean. Sam, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks for having me, Buzz.
1: You're very welcome. Now, before we jump into the ship and the review itself, tell us a little bit about why you chose this particular cruise and uh, the itinerary.
2: Okay, I just had a small window, short time frame away from the children, so I wanted a a great itinerary that would hit all my favourite spots in Europe. This one offered a great price um, and some of my favourite ports, so it was a winner.
1: Obviously, you're here in Australia. Um, How did you uh, get through to Rome?
2: I flew on Qatar Airlines, as I have done the past few years heading over to Europe. Qatar's excellent service. I find the um, airport in Qatar really easy to navigate through, Um, and that took us straight to Rome.
1: And uh, did you stay in Rome at all, or did you head straight down to the, the port area?
2: I was expecting to stay overnight in the port area, but when I got there, my husband, knowing that Rome is my favourite city, had arranged for us to stay at the Diana Roof Garden Hotel for a night.
1: And whereabouts is that in the, the city itself?
2: Literally five minutes walk from the train station, and also that night we were able to walk to Trevon Fountain, Coliseum and so on, on just like a walking tour, so great location.
1: Perfect. Now, the next day, um, obviously, you needed to get down to the port. The port of uh, Rome is actually called Civitavecchia. It's a a bit of a a journey um, by car or by train. How did you choose to get down to the port?
2: Being close to the train station, it was a no-brainer. So we just jumped on the local train down to the port. And then from the port, we just walked uh, down to the main area of the port.
1: And in uh, Civitavecchia port area, there's a shuttle bus that takes you to the various terminals. Uh, I know from memory that Norwegian operate from the opposite side to where most of the cruise ships uh, depart from. Um, How easy was it to find your shuttle bus and how uh, easy did you find the the ship itself?
2: It was an interesting walk um, and you can see all the different ships as they're um, in port. So, yeah, it was easy to find. Hopped on the shuttle and then once we got to the port area, we were kerb to the cabin in about 10 to 15 minutes
1: brilliant um now what were your initial inspection sorry what were your initial thoughts as you walked up the gangway and into the ship itself
2: i must admit i have been spoiled um recently and i've been cruising on some of the newer ships um so i found the decor looked a bit dirty and it seemed very busy with lots of people around um but still beautiful
1: and did you have a bit of a lunch first or did you go and find your cabin
2: of course straight to the food and um, we went up and had some lunch in the garden cafe which is the buffet area and took it out by the pool to take in the views and enjoy our first meal on board
1: and uh, as you found the your accommodation i think you mentioned before you were staying in a balcony cabin um tell me about the, the cabin and um, the cabins on norwegian epic are a little bit different to the, the rest of the fleet um what was the storage like what was there any usb plugs things like that
2: okay the first thing that hit me was the separate uh, toilet and shower cubicles so one on either side as you walked in the entrance door not had that before it was a bit novel and then your vanity was part of the main cabin there was loads of drawers and storage space so that was fantastic and of course the good old usb for charging the good old phones
1: now i'd normally say have you got um, uh, a glass shower screen or of a shower curtain but uh, i'm hoping in this instance given that the shower was in the main cabin there was a, a shower screen
2: That's right, yeah, glass shower screen.
1: Perfect. Okay, moving on from your accommodation, how about the dining options on board? Um, First of all, let's start off with the buffet and then make our way to the the included main restaurants and also touch on any specialty restaurants that you used.
2: I must admit, this time um, we did only use the complimentary restaurants. Um, so there was the buffet garden cafe, and um, that was interesting. It had like its own uh, Indian section, pasta section, which is something I haven't really seen on the other ships. Um, and then obviously we got the main dining room, which it's lovely to get dressed up and be waited on hand and foot. I would say, comparing to other ships, the service was slightly rushed. But if you you know destined to go to the show that evening, I suppose sometimes getting in and out is good.
1: And um, as you walk around the ship, there are lots of uh, hand-washing stations. I know you're encouraged to sanitise your hands. Obviously, we've got COVID at the moment. You were cruising before then. Um, How strictly was it enforced to to keep hygienic around the ship?
2: Very strictly enforced. In fact, every morning we did used to laugh as we went down to breakfast. They actually employed a lady to be the washy-washy lady. And she's literally giving you antibacterial lotion just before you go into the buffet restaurant.
1: (laughs) And... um, You were on quite a busy itinerary. It's a seven-day itinerary with only one sea day. Um, On those sea days, was it easy enough to find a a sunbed? Could you find a quiet spot in one of the lounges? Or um, I guess the movement of people around the ship is uh, the better word.
2: Absolutely, yeah. I did enjoy a couple of days by the pool on the sunbeds with um, a book. And then as it got to later evening, ordering a cocktail or two by, um, by the poolside.
1: And um, obviously there's there's hot tubs, there's uh, pools on board and uh, I think water slides from memory. Um, did you get to use all those facilities?
2: Um, with it being, um, you know, some big big days in the ports, we didn't yet get to use everything that the ship offered. Um, but it was still a wonderful base to see Europe from.
1: And how about the entertainment? So Norwegian's known for some of its big um, full Broadway productions. I think on Epic from memory there is Priscilla, Queen of the Desert and... Burn the Floor. Uh, did you get to see any of the shows? What do you think of the entertainment and the, the music around the ship?
2: Actually, these were a couple of the shows that um, I've loved more than any other cruises that we've been on. Um, yeah, I was expecting the Priscilla one not to be as good as a proper musical, but it was really enjoyable and really well done. Um, burn the Floor as well, obviously. The salsa dancing gets you um, pumping into the music and just makes you want to get up and dance.
1: Now, let's move on to your itinerary. As we mentioned, you're on a seven-day itinerary. You, um, on this instance, embarked in Rome, but this ship, you can actually choose to embark in Barcelona if you prefer. Um, Let's uh, talk. just briefly mention the port that you went to, uh, what you did when you were ashore, and whether that was an organized shore tour or whether you did your own thing, and uh, what some of the highlights were. So I think your first uh, port of call was uh, Livorno for Pisa and Florence.
2: Yeah, so in this instance, we have already been to Pisa. So we chose to um, book through CruisingExcursions.com, so independently, to do a day trip to Florence. Um, really just ticking one off the to-do list here. Seeing the cathedral after walking through the little alleyway streets was just absolutely breathtaking. And of course, we got to tick off for all the must-sees. So seeing David, seeing the Ponte Vecchio, and so forth. Also a little bit of shopping in the alleyways. It was a perfect day.
1: And from um, Livorno, I think your next port of call was Cannes in France.
2: Oh, that's right. Yep. This was one of my favourite days. Always wanted to jump on a Vespa. So that's what we did. Again, we booked it independently um, and the Vespa tour took us to all the main sea sites. Uh, We got to see like the red carpet where the film festival is. We got right up to the top to view the whole of Cannes. It was just beautiful. And you can't beat that wind in your hair feeling travelling along Cannes seafront.
1: Next uh, is probably one of my favourite destinations, uh, the big bustling city of Barcelona.
2: Barcelona, again, I've been here many times, but the one thing I haven't managed to do so far was the Park Güell. So we took ourselves up on public transport to Park Güell, overlooks the whole of Barcelona. Absolutely stunning scenery, and of course, Gaudí's work there is fantastic as well. The remainder of the afternoon, we spent down Las Ramblas. Uh, checking out the tapas ordering a bit of vino and yeah it was a wonderful day
1: and just just for the listeners if you've never been to Parkwell and you are using public transport just bear in mind there are a lot of steps um, there are some um, travelators uh, or escalators that can take up sections of it but not all of them are working so just bear in mind you, you do need to use the steps if you're taking public transport if you take other means they will drop you off pretty much at uh, the, the door there and um, next port of call was uh, palma de mallorca which is the beautiful island of mallorca palma being the the capital city
2: Again, we chose to do our own thing. I think this is because we are quite experienced traveling in Europe. So this time we booked the hop-on, hop-off bus. Um, we used it to transport first to the main square. Hopped off, had a little walk down the cobbledy streets, looked around the souvenir shops. Um, of course, visited one of my favorite shops, Zara, while um, the hobby sat and had a few beers in the square. He was sat next to a family. They were all playing chess. Um, it was quite cute to watch. And um, yeah, a lovely day again.
1: Then your next port of call would have been, um, sorry, you would have had a a day at sea next, um, which is obviously where you would have got to use the ship at its best. Um, Following that, you would have then gone to Naples. Um, What did you do from uh, the port of Naples?
2: So, yeah, a little bit of history. I actually used to live in Sorrento, which is not too far from Naples. So we booked the private ferry um, service to Sorrento, which takes about 35 minutes. Uh, we joined the locals first and had a beer at breakfast time while waiting for the ferry. And then once in Sorrento, we made our way up from um, the port and we had lunch at our favourite restaurant, La Fonici. Uh, gnocchi Sorrentino for me and the husband, husband had a huge pizza. It was delightful.
1: And you could pretty much fill your day in Sorrento and then get back in time for the, the ship to leave?
2: Definitely could. I would suggest possibly taking your own drinks onto the ferry on the way back because the, the drinks were pretty pricey.
1: Good tip. And uh, next, of course, you'll we'll be returning back to Chivitabekia because it is the, the end of your cruise. Had you arranged for a transportation back to the airport or did you uh, just just get off and, and do that as you got back to the port?
2: We had arranged transport, again, not through the cruise ship, just independently. Um, it's a fantastic service, bus through to the airport um very easy and um yeah I must say that Rome airport itself has got some amazing fresh foods and um and yeah your holiday doesn't finish at the airport there's still some amazing foods to try while you're in the waiting area
1: and of the itinerary that you just did um was there a particular standout I mean you said you've been to many of those places before but anywhere you were desperate to get back to once again
2: I would say my standout on this cruise was um, the Cairns Day. So going on the respite and then finishing off with poolside wines and cocktails, watching the sunset before we left that beautiful port.
1: And given that you were in uh, the Med in October, how was the weather?
2: It was surprisingly very warm. I did pack a few winter woolies, but I didn't need them. It was, um, I would say, probably 20 to 26 throughout the day. Lovely.
1: Now... Uh, Some people say that cruise directors uh, have no impact on their cruise. Other people say they make a really big difference to their cruise experience. Um, Did you see much of your cruise director on board this particular ship, and did they really elevate your cruise to the next level at all?
2: Um. Oh, she was around a lot. English girl, Um, but I think she was quite busy with it, having to turn around in two ports. Um, So. She's not a standout in that I would follow on Instagram like I have from some of the other fun ships I've been on, um, but yeah, she did a job very well.
1: And if you could say one thing to the Norwegian executives, whether they're in Sydney, back in Miami, or, or back in the UK, is there anything you'd like to to get them message back to them about uh, Norwegian Epic in particular?
2: um entertainment of an evening fantastic but maybe just look at the separate bathroom and loo situation i would be thinking that if a friend was coming to my cabin it would be a little bit awkward if they were in my bedroom like listening to me go to the toilet rather than being in a separate room
1: yeah it is a unique feature of norwegian epic and it was never repeated on any other ship so i think they must have already taken that back um on board now before we finish up um who do you think this particular ship and this particular itinerary would appeal to
2: Uh, Couples, families, um, elderly as well. Um, Some fantastic ports. Um, Shippers, easy to navigate. Um, And the itinerary, yeah, very good.
1: Brilliant. Sam, thank you very much for your review today. Next time you do choose to cruise, please do come back and tell us about your next cruise holiday.
2: I would love to. Thank you very much for having me. That's all for today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Until next time, bon voyage.
0: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.